Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We normally ask you to stand in the honor of reading of God's word, but we'll let you sit tonight since we've had so many scripture readings so far. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the holy word of the Lord says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiod, and Abiod, the father of Alakim, and Alakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So then all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there you have it. Nobody volunteered for that scripture reading, so I had to do it. Now, I realize that this isn't a typical Christmas passage. And so, if you're like me at all, these parts in the Bible are the ones that you usually just skip over entirely or you read them so quickly that you might as well have skipped over them entirely. Am I right? But to do that is a mistake. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, why is that a mistake? Well, I'll tell you why. For one, see, for us modern readers, though when we read genealogies, we're just like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, who cares? But back in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. Back in Jesus' day, they absolutely paid attention to a genealogy like that. They sat up, their ears tilted forward, and they listened intently because it mattered, because who you were related to mattered. See, your lineage was sort of a resume that told people about how important you were. And now in Matthew chapter 1 here, we find something really, really, really interesting about Jesus's lineage. And we find that when it comes to Jesus's family tree, this is not a good family tree. This is not the people that you would typically you know, brag about being related to. No, these are the people that, you know, you don't like people knowing that you're related to. I remember in high school when, you know, you find out like the nerdy kid or whatever, when somebody who was popular was related to him, everyone was like, ooh, you know, that's not good. 
It's similar to this here, right? So Jesus is showing in his family tree that he's related to people that normally you wouldn't brag about being related to. And in fact, we could call Jesus's family tree a dark family tree. And why is it dark? Because, it, because it's full of some really bad apples. It's full of murders. It's full of prostitutes, liars, and cowards. And yet that's how Matthew starts his gospel. By highlighting Jesus's dark family tree for the entire world to see. He's pulling the skeletons out of Jesus' ancestral closet. But why? Is Matthew just trying to make Jesus look bad? Is that his goal? Why is he highlighting Jesus' dark family tree? Well, three reasons. It's because Jesus' dark family tree gives us three things. It gives us confidence, humility, and third, hope. Look at verse 1. Matthew 1 verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus doesn't begin like other stories. It doesn't begin with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't begin with once upon a time. It doesn't start that way like all the other great fairy tales do. How does it start? History. It starts with history. You know, when I was first married, I remember watching the Lord of the Rings movies, and I just absolutely loved the Lord of the Rings movies. And I remember, this is before we had children, so me and my wife could still go to movies together back then. And we, would, we went and watched The Return of the King. And when we got done with that movie, I just sat there just blown away. And she's like, what do you think? Like, I could die now. And she's like, what do you mean? I thought you liked this movie. But that was the point. I did enjoy the movie immensely. And see, what was happening was for me, after watching that just triumphant story conclude with the good guys winning and the bad guys being defeated, deep down, there was a longing inside of my heart that longed for that reality in my own reality. I longed in my reality for the evil to be defeated, for the dragon to be slain by the valiant knight. And so at the end of that movie, when they all lived happily ever after, my heart screamed, this is what I was made for. But here's the problem. We know this, but our world isn't like that, is it? Our world is full of evil, it's full of suffering, and it's full of death. See, in our world, the heroes often do die, and the villains win. The good do die young. But even though our world is like that, we still can't seem to shake the live happily ever after longing that our hearts desire, can we? We still hope for, as Sam says at the end of that movie, he says, everything bad would one day come untrue. That's what he hopes for. That's what we hope for. However, if nature is red in tooth and claw, if when we die, they throw us in the ground, they throw dirt over us, and that's it, then the question is, why do we have these longings deep within our hearts? We all share it. We all have it. It's a universal human trait. And I think we have these longings because deep down, our hearts know what our brains, our intellect, often doesn't. See, deep down, we know that life is not, as Macbeth said, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We know our world is broken. We know we are broken. And so deep down, our hearts know that this world is under a spell. It's in a perpetual dark winter And so we long for a prince to come along and break the spell. 
Anyone who knows me knows that one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he wrote something brilliant about the longings of our heart. Here's what he said. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's just it, though, isn't it? All of the great stories, all of the great fairy tales are whispering to our hearts that there really is a world where the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see, and the dead live. And in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we finally find the prince who can break that curse. And he can do so. Why? Because Jesus isn't just another story. He isn't just a once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. No, as one pastor puts it, he says, Jesus is the true story to which all other stories point. He's right. Which means that for those of us who trust in Christ as our Savior, we can have confidence that one day we will live happily ever after. And why? Because in Jesus, which is the story of Christmas here, the God of the universe entered into human history in order to make all of the bad things of our world and our universe come untrue. This is why the gospel of Jesus is fundamentally a gospel of what is called good news. It's not good advice. It doesn't tell us the things that we need to do to better ourselves to live our best lives now. It's good news about what God has accomplished himself through Jesus Christ in human history. And that's why Matthew begins here with a genealogy. He wants us to have confidence that Jesus isn't just a nice you know, story to warm our hearts in every December. No, Jesus is God himself who entered into human history. Not only does Jesus' genealogy give us confidence that Jesus really did exist, he's not just another make-believe story, but Jesus' genealogy shows us that he is the rightful king. Not just a king, the king. See, the opening sentence of Matthew tells us this. How? Because it doesn't just say Jesus of Nazareth, it says Jesus Christ. And Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Okay? Christ is a title. It's a very important title. It's what's called a messianic title. And we don't have time to look at this, so largely here you're going to just have to take my word for it tonight. But throughout the Bible, the prophecies that came thousands of years before Jesus, and Josh read one of those for us, it talks about Jesus, who he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who will one day return again, just as he did 2,000 years ago, to set up his kingdom of peace and justice that will stand forever. And so Jesus' genealogy is telling us that. It's telling us that we can have confidence in Jesus for not only did Jesus really exist, but Jesus is the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so far on Sunday mornings, that's what we've been studying is we've been going through the book of Matthew for about a year and over and over and over, Matthew's trying to drill this into our heads that Jesus is the King. He is the King of King and Lord of lords. Not only does Jesus' dark family tree give us confidence in him, But it does another thing when we look at his family tree. It actually gives us no confidence whatsoever in ourselves. In fact, it should should give us great humility, which is our second point. Look at verse 1, the second part of it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, at the top of this family tree, we have Abraham, okay, who was the father of the Jewish people. 
And if you know anything about Abraham at all and the stories that are written about him in the Bible, you know that Abraham was a liar and he was a major coward. I don't have time to tell you the story, but it was bad. Okay, keep going through the family tree here. Next, we find Jacob, his son, who was basically a lying con man who swindled his brother out of his birthright. Then we get to Jacob's son, Judah, and all of his brothers. And if you know about the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, you know what they did to him. They threw him in a pit to kill him, and then they decided, hey, let's sell him into slavery, and we'll tell dad that he died. So dad goes into mourning for how many years? They don't care at all. And that's just Judah. And that's not even half of Judah's story. Because if I was going to read Genesis 38 for us right now, parents would have to cover their kids' ears because of how dicey and racy it gets in that chapter for the just awful things that Judah does. In this list, we have prostitutes like Tamar. We have Rahab the harlot. And a whole bunch of other terrible kings and awful people who did awful things quite often. The point is this. This family tree is a dark family tree. If you look at verse 6, Matthew even seems to go out of his way to highlight how dark this is. Here's what he says. And Jesse was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, Uriah is a guy, so what is this passage talking about? Like, Matthew is recording this in a very, very interesting way. See, Matthew could have just said David was the father of Solomon, who was the mother of Bathsheba, because Bathsheba was Solomon's mother, okay? But he doesn't say it that way, does he? He doesn't. Instead, Matthew writes it in a way that intentionally highlights a really, really dark moment in Jesus' family tree. What happened was King David committed adultery with Bathsheba while Uriah was away at war. He got her pregnant, and then he tried to cover it up by murdering Uriah. See, and this makes it, it gets even darker because Uriah was one of David's mighty men who was protecting David before David was king while he was running from King Saul for his very life. And yet here now when David is king, this is how he repays one of his good friends, by stealing his wife, committing adultery with her, and then murdering him in order to cover it up. That's cold-hearted stuff. Now, we could keep going throughout this family tree and keep giving example after example, but I think you get the point. The point is, Jesus' family tree is pretty dark. The question is, why is Matthew highlighting it for us? Is he trying to make Jesus look bad? What is he doing? No, he's not. Matthew is doing something very important here, and here's the reason for highlighting Jesus' dark family tree. The point is this. Even Jesus' lineage is dripping with the grace of God. Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? That word gospel means good news. And so what makes the message of Jesus Christ good news is something very, very, that, very different that we would not have expected. It's good news. Why? Because it tells us what God has done for us in human history to save us, sinners. The gospel of Jesus tells us that we were so bad, so sinful, that God himself had to enter our world in order to live the perfect life that you and I never could and die the death that you and I deserved. The gospel of Jesus isn't good advice for how to clean up your life, to be a better person, to gain God's favor. It's not anything to do with those. 
The gospel is good news about what God has done for us in order to break the curse of sin and save us. This means then that salvation through Jesus doesn't come because we try hard enough, doesn't come because we pray enough, because we go to church enough, or we obey and do more right things than wrong things. It doesn't come to us because we are faithful. It comes to us by grace through faith because he is faithful. That is a massive, massive difference. See, Jesus Christ is the one and only faithful one who is not at all ashamed to associate with the unfaithful. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, we see this happening over and over again. We see him associating with the people who were outcasts, the social outcasts, sinners, tax collectors. In fact, Matthew was one of them. Jesus was known for being with those who had the humility to recognize that the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news about what God had done in order to draw sinners close to him. And this is something Matthew understood all too well, because Matthew was not even close to being considered a good person. Matthew was a tax collector. And we don't know what that means today because we just think of the IRS, but that's not even a good like, comparison. Matthew, in his culture, was considered the worst sinner of the worst sinner. He was considered a traitor to his people, a thief who robbed his own people for selfish gain. And yet what did Jesus do for Matthew? He invited this sin-stained sinner to come and join his dark family tree. Matthew 9, 13 says this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see then what Jesus' genealogy is telling us? It shows us that even the darkest sin-stained person can become a member of God's family. That's what it's telling us. How? By the grace of God not of works, so that no one should boast. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, sh- they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How do we then join Jesus' dark family tree? Well, we've said it several times now, but it's by grace. Well, what does that mean? It means that we recognize that the path into God's family isn't by our works, but by his. Which means that God doesn't love me because I'm smarter than other people, richer than other people, more religiously observant than other people, or I do more good things than bad things. No, God loves and accepts us through Jesus Christ only by grace which not only means then that I have no room whatsoever to feel morally superior to the other sinners that are around me, but I also have no room to feel inferior to those around me either. And the reason is because everyone who is in Christ's family isn't there because of their goodness, but they're there because of his goodness. That's a remarkable reason to have hope this Christmas season. Jesus' dark family tree gives us confidence, it gives us humility, and it gives us hope. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Here Matthew says, and what he's basically pointing out here, is that there's been three sets of 14 or six sevens of generations. 
You're bad at numbers, sorry, but that's what he's telling us. There's been six sevens of generations. Okay, well, what is he talking about? What's his point? Every Christmas, there's a little book I read by one of my favorite pastors, and he really helped me understand what this verse is getting at. And so here, what I think Matthew is saying is this. See, in the Bible, the number seven is extremely significant. In Genesis, after God finished creating the universe in six days, what did he do on the seventh? He rested, right? He had a Sabbath, which is a day of rest. However, in the Bible, the idea of Sabbath has a whole lot of symbolism and meaning that points really ultimately to the ultimate day of rest that we Christians hope for. So in Leviticus 25, on the 49th year, or the last year of the seventh period of sevens, make sense? Okay. There was what's called a year of Jubilee. So the 49th year, there was a year of Jubilee, which was the end of the seven periods of seven. And in that year, something special happened. All the slaves were freed, all the debts were forgiven, and all of the land and the people for that entire year would have a year of rest from their labors and from their hardships. And so every 49 years, or the seventh seven, everyone would enjoy a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Now, there's a reason God did this, and he did this because it was a small preview of the ultimate rest that we will one day have when Jesus Christ returns with his kingdom to rule and reign. So what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven. He's the 49th year. He's the ultimate rest. That's basically what he's pointing out to using Old Testament language. And so what he's saying is Jesus is the ultimate year of Jubilee. Because Christ came, we can experience the final Sabbath. We can have ultimate rest is his point. And how does this rest come? By grace, through faith, in Christ. You see how significant this is. Prior to Jesus, every single one of us has been laboring and striving to prove ourselves faithful enough to be worthy of God's family. That's what every religion in the world out there is. It's the scale system. Do more good things and less bad things. Godly man doesn't work though that way. But it it tells us that. It says if you work hard enough, if you pray long enough, if you're good enough, then God will accept you and bring you to heaven when you die. But hear me tonight when I tell you this. That's not the message of Christianity. That's not the message of Jesus. Not even close. The message of Christianity is that God, the light of the world, through Christ Jesus, broke into our dark world in the perfect person of Jesus Christ who willingly adopts sinners into his family tree who come to him, not by their righteousness, not by their works, but by his. And when you do that, it enables you to finally stop striving after a righteousness of your own. That's that's unattainable. You cannot receive that. You can't do it. And it enables you to finally and fully rest in Christ's righteousness alone. That's what the message of Christmas is about. It is. The message of Christmas tells tells us that through Jesus, the unfaithful become the faithful. Not through our works, through his. And so this Christmas season, I ask you, is Christ your Sabbath rest? Is he your seventh seven? Is he your year of jubilee? 
Or are you still trying to become a member in God's family by your righteousness? If so, give up on it. For the only way for the unfaithful to become the faithful is by grace through faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. And when that happens, the unfaithful become the faithful who are adopted into Christ's family tree. There's one other important reason why we can become faithful. And it's because Christ, who was faithful, died for the unfaithful upon a tree. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born into this world so that he might die for sinners. He took your place. He took my place. He died the death that we deserved. He bore the wrath of God, which we could, we could never bear. And that was the heavy cost that it took for the unfaithful to become the faithful. And that's a gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, everlasting Sabbath, everlasting jubilee. Matthew 11.28 says this. This is Jesus. He says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you have the rest that Christmas offers? Do you want the rest that Christ brings? If so, then take hold of it by grace through faith in him and join Jesus' dark family tree. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the way that you've challenged me with it and shaped my faith by it. And Father, I pray for the one here tonight who is trying to be accepted into your family by their faithfulness. Lord, I pray that they would give up on that foolish endeavor, for it is impossible. For the only way that we can be considered righteous before you is through Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath that we deserved. So we just pray that this Christmas would be a special time for believers as we remember the reason Christ came, as we challenge ourselves and reflect upon the hope of Christmas and how we too then might be lights into a dark world. And we just pray also, Lord, again for the one here who doesn't know you, who's dead in their trespasses and sins, who's marching towards the day of judgment. I pray that they would turn, they would flee to Christ. For all who seek shelter in him will not be put to shame. We pray these things in Christ's name.